Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome to uh, Resurrection Sunday at Lighthouse Community. Are you glad to be in the house this morning? Are you glad to be here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Great, uh, great day to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, there's a traditional greeting, uh, just literally for centuries, that uh, Christians uh, greeted one another with, and uh, you may already know it, but essentially one believer would say, he is risen, and the other believers would respond with, he is risen indeed. And so I thought maybe we could try that real quick. Um, how about I'll say, he is risen, and you can respond with, he is risen indeed. Are you ready? He is risen Oh, yeah, great. Good job. Hey, if you're joining us online, maybe you can type, he is risen uh, indeed in the chat and be a part of that. But um, I'm so glad all of you are here, both on campus um, and our online campus. So if you're maybe you're joining us from, you know, Finley or Bluffton, Arlington, Macomb, somewhere else in Hancock County, or maybe uh, even outside of the county as well, we're really glad that you've joined us. And uh, if this is your first time or, or we just haven't met before, I want to say welcome. My name is Fritz Bilo. I serve as one of the pastors here, and I'd love to connect with you, maybe after the service, or if you want to send a message online, something like that, I think that would be great. But uh, I want to ask you a question. Um, to, is, have you ever been surprised by news before, right? Like somebody shared something with you, a uh, little piece of news, or, you know, hey, you're never going to believe. Uh, they say it, and you're kind of like, you know, what do you, how do you respond? Has that ever happened to you where you're kind of like, man, I don't know what to say right now? Um, you know, maybe it floored you, maybe you're just like, man, I'm not sure what to do with this. That happened to me like 12 years ago, and so uh, let, me, let me set the scene here for you. So I'm, I'm at work, and I'm in a meeting, uh, right, with uh, some of our ministry leaders at our church, and I get a phone call from my wife, and she typically never calls my cell phone during the day unless there's something really important going on. And so she called, and I'm like, hey, uh, I'm going to step out and take this call, and uh, so I do, I step out, and I pick up, I was like, hey, what's going on? She's like, uh, hey, what are you doing? I said, uh, you know, well, I was in a meeting, uh, but uh, what's going on? We, we can talk. She's like, no, 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 I'll call later. And, you know, I was like, no, no, what's, what's up? What's going on? And so she's like, uh, well, um, I, uh, we're pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> Let me tell you why. I didn't know what to say, because normally you'd be like, that's horrible. You should be excited. What are you doing, you bad, bad husband? Um, but uh, what was going on is, uh, so our oldest, Jackson, was about six months old at the time. And, uh, and Christina, yeah, <laughs> some of you guys are going, oh, I get it now. Uh, but also, uh, literally, like the week before, I just called our insurance, because we're like, well, we're going to wait a few years before we try for more kids. And so I called our insurance company and, and canceled the maternity rider on our insurance. She's like, oh, that'll save us some money, you know? And uh, so then I get that phone call, and, and I'm like, all of these scenarios are running through my mind, the logistics of what are we going to do? What's it going to be? Like, all this going on, I'm not saying anything. And then the next thing that came out of my mouth was this. I'm going to have to call you back. <laughs> And I hung up on her. <laughs> That's what, don't do that, by the way, okay? That is not a good idea. Later, my wife told me she was on the other end after I hung up uh, crying. <laughs> so, yes, uh, Husband of the Year Award uh, for 2011. But, um, I know that would have been 09, right? Was that 09? Yeah, 09. So, there you go. But, uh, you know, it, it, I was surprised. I didn't, I didn't know what to think. I don't know what to I was thinking on my feet. Um, and uh, it wasn't our plan, but what's cool is God definitely had a plan, and I think about our, you know, our second son, Levi, and just how special he is in our family, and we just, I mean, just could not imagine our family um, without Levi being a part of that, and so, you know, even though it wasn't a part of our plan, or I wasn't sure how to respond, um, you know, God was in all of that, so I don't know, maybe you've had a time in your life where somebody shared some news with you, and you weren't entirely sure uh, how to respond or what to do with it, um, What's interesting is, is that really is how the first disciples kind of navigated this very first resurrection day, right? Um, there's like all of these questions almost 2,000 years ago. They're, they're responding with surprise and, and disbelief and shock, um, marvel, right? They don't even, they're not even sure how to process 
this news that's going on. And, and I don't know, maybe they were like calling each other on Sunday morning and like, you know, you're never going to believe. And Peter's like, I'm going to have to call you back. Uh, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what was happening uh, that day, but, um, you know, they, they just really struggled. They, nobody knew what to think about it. What I find really interesting is that was a response like almost 2,000 years ago. And yet, those are some of the same responses that our world, and we still have today, when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's like disbelief. There's shock. There's surprise. We're, we're perplexed. Can this be real? I don't understand how all of this works, uh, right? And so there's still kind of that response uh, of what's really real and, and how can I know? And, and you have to understand this, that Jesus' resurrection is literally the greatest moment of all time, right? It's the one moment in time that gives meaning to every other single moment in time. I mean, it's pivotal. It's pivotal. And in fact, how you and I respond to the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters for our lives now and matters for our lives forever. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to, uh, I think we would be helped by looking at how these first disciples navigated this first Resurrection Sunday and how we uh, might find guidance within that as well. So if you did bring a Bible, as Pastor Matt mentioned, if you'll open up to Luke chapter 24, you can click over there on your device. Um, if you have a, you know, an analog Bible like I do, uh, it's kind of like in the middle towards the back, Luke 24, it's the third gospel in the New Testament. And uh, we're just going to, here's what we're going to do. We're actually just going to read Luke 24 because it's so powerful. Um, I think you've got to catch what happens here. So I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, but you can follow along with the version that you have. This is what it says starting in verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in, in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, 
for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. And then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. I almost want to say, like, amen. <laughs> Whoever would like to come for prayer, uh, come now and we'll see you next week. Right? Like, like it, is, it is so amazing what Luke has done here and how the Holy Spirit led him to write this gospel. But here's the overwhelming thing that Luke 24 is conveying to you and me today and, and, and for all time, right? Is this. Jesus is alive. He's alive. Yes, he was dead, but he didn't stay dead. He's alive. He's alive now, and he's alive forever. And that changes everything, right? And so what Luke does with amazing skill as a storyteller is he takes us on this journey that these first disciples went through. He actually sets up four scenes, right? You've got this scene at the tomb, you've got the scene on the road, you've got the scene in the room, and then it closes with the scene on the mount. And through the process of sharing these four scenes and these four moments, there's also this thread that goes through all of these stories, all of these moments. And what it is, it's like four movements, that the disciples go through, right? They're, they're movements like perceived reality, movements like real reality. Then there's truth that's explained. And then finally, there's a response of worship. And I want to walk through those four movements just briefly this morning, because what Luke does here is, is he begins with what these believers, what these followers of of Jesus believed was reality, right? This was their perceived reality. It was their perception. And so from their perspective, Jesus was dead, right? He was dead, and he's going to stay dead. Actually, if you look at Luke 23, the chapter just before, in verses 55 and 56, uh, you see that there's uh, some of uh, the women disciples, uh, after Jesus dies, they actually go to the, his tomb where he's going to be buried, and they see where he's laid down, Right? And then at the, at the end of that, what they do is they actually go home and they start preparing spices and, and ointments, basically, right? You know what they're doing? They're getting ready to embalm him, right, to take care of his body because from their perspective, he's dead. He's dead and he's going to stay dead, right? Um, even when you see uh, the women who go to the tomb on Sunday morning and the angel tells them, well, actually, he's alive, and they go back, right, verses 10 and 12. They go back and they tell the disciples and the others who are there, none of the disciples believed him, right? This is, this not, that's not true. It's not real. It's not true. What are you talking about, right? That can't be real. Nobody believed him. Even in verse 21, when the two disciples, right, on the road, 
And Jesus is like, hey, what's going on? And what's their response? They're like, well, we, we hoped. We thought he was the one. But I guess maybe he's not, right? Because he's dead. And so everybody thought, everybody assumed Jesus was dead and he was going to stay dead. Right? The Cinderella story was over. The, the son, of carp, son of a carpenter who was catapulted to Messiah status is dead. He's gone. Right? It's, it's, it's all over. It's, it's, it's done. It's, it's all there is. I mean, they saw him humiliated on the cross. They saw him killed. They, they saw the place where he was buried. They saw the blood and the water flow from his body when the soldier stabbed him in the side. Jesus was dead, right? Just for a moment, can you imagine how those first disciples felt? Just, just think for just a moment, right? Their rabbi, their friend, right? Like this, they thought he was the Messiah, was dead. Do you think, do you think that any of them like felt like they had been played? You think anybody, any of them like wrestled through the idea like Jesus lied to us? He's not who he said he was. Do you think any of them were like angry? I mean, think about this. You have, you have these people who literally left everything. They left their, their, their houses. They left their families. They left their jobs. They left their friends. They traveled everywhere that Jesus went. I mean, they gave up everything to go with him. And now he's dead. Right? It's over. You know, even on Sunday morning, right, the, the women go to Jesus' tomb, Right? And what are they carrying with them? Look at, look at verse 1, right? Luke 24, verse 1. What are they carrying with them? They're carrying spices. They're carrying the, the oils and the ointments, right? They're taking that with them. Why? Because they're going to embalm a dead body. Jesus is dead, and he's going to stay dead, right? This is their perceived reality. And can you blame them? I mean, really, when you see somebody die, it's a really good chance that they're dead, you know, right? Like, it's, it's done. It's over. They're not, they're not coming back, right? So based on what they could know, right, their understanding, their perceived reality was that Jesus was dead and he's going to stay dead based on what they could know on their own. And so here's a question I think is worth you and I asking. And the question is this, like, what's our perceived reality? What's our perceived reality? What are the things that we think we can know based only on what we can know, right? Like, what do you, what do you, what's your perceived reality on what's true? What's your perceived reality on what's false? Right? What's, what is, what's your perceived reality? And, and let me throw out another question just to kind of think on. Do you think it's possible? Could it be that your reality is actually only based on what you can know by yourself? And actually, there's a whole other real reality, but it requires somebody else speaking that into you, showing that to you, right? Because that's what happened to all of these disciples beginning with the women, right? They arrived at the tomb on Sunday morning to embalm Jesus' dead body because that's their perceived reality, right? He's dead. And then, all of a sudden, their perceived reality gets slapped right inside the face <laughs> with real reality, right? Because they're down there. They're like, whoa, the, 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 you know, the rocks rolled away. There doesn't seem like it's going to be in there. They're like, what? I don't, I, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, like two angels like pop out of no, nowhere and like, hey, what's going on? You know, and they're like, what are you doing in a cemetery looking for living people? That's weird. You know, they're like, you're not going to find him here. He's not dead. He's alive. He's risen, just like he said he would, right? And so the angels are making really clear, like, he's, he's not dead. He's alive. He was dead, but he's not dead anymore. He was dead, but he's risen, and he's alive. And so you've got these women, they're perplexed. You've got Peter, right? He doesn't fully understand what's going on. You've got the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're like, you know, we thought he was, but then our women are saying something. And I don't know, like, if that makes sense, how all this works. You know, ah, maybe they had too much coffee. I, I don't know what's happening here, right? See, what's going on is that none of them had a reference point for what was taking place right then and there. 
to you and I, we go like, oh, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Duh. Everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah, well, like we've been talking about it for the last 2,000 years. <laughs> you know, Perhaps we have a clue. But they don't. Right? There's no category. There's, 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 no, there's no like reference point for what's happening in this moment because when somebody dies, they stay dead. You don't raise yourself back up to life. What is all of this? And so, you know, imagine how confused and perplexed these disciples are, right? Luke uses words like this, perplexed, frightened, marveled, disbelief, amazed, right? They, they don't even know what to do with any of this. They're just trying to process it. And so Jesus realizes all this is going on, right? Everything's already dialed to 10. And he's like, eh, let's go to 12, right? So he like cranks it up another notch and he starts like visiting with his disciples. He's like walking with them on the road to Emmaus, but they don't really realize it's him. And he's asking all this question, oh, what happened? You know, and uh, they're telling him what had happened. And then other times he's just showing up in the room. Um, he's, he's showing them his hands and his feet. He's explaining to them like what's going on. Um, he's, right, he's like enjoying snack time with the disciples, right? They're like munching on fish sticks. And, and like all of this is going on. And so you might be wondering, you're going like, well, I, why does, this seems like a lot of details. Why doesn't Luke just get to the point, right? Like he talks about Mary Magdalene and Joanna and names the one, you know, disciple Cleopas and talking about all these things and the fish sticks and the whatever. And so, you know, why does Luke share all of these details? Why doesn't he just say Jesus rose from the dead? Period. Well, there's two reasons. First reason is this. These are details that actually happened. Right? There's, there's part of the story, they just they happened. And, and for any of us, right, you have like this really meaningful, memorable time that happens in your life, and you start telling the story, what do you do? You share the details, right? Like I think about when our first son, Jackson, was born. Right? I, I remember everything. I remember that day. I remember going to the hospital. I remember the colors of the gown that Christina was wearing. I remember I was wearing my Iron Pony Motorsports t-shirt. Uh, right? Like, you know, I don't know what you wear to a birth. Like, that's just what I had on. And I remember our nurse's name was Tara, and she was so kind, and she was so thoughtful. And, like, I can just, I can go back to that moment with, I mean, just, and remember all of that stuff. Why? You know, I can share those details with you because it sticks. It was like this meaningful moment, and I remember it. And, and the same thing's happening here, right? Luke is sharing details from all of these eyewitnesses, like, oh, yeah, you remember this? And yeah, yeah, you got scared. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I was there, right? Yeah, you dropped your fish stick, uh, right? Like, all of this is going on, and there's, and because this is a real story. But there's a second reason why Luke shares these details, because what he's doing is saying, listen, you've got to understand, this is not like some spiritual awakening, this is not some philosophical thing. This is not some hologram that came back that's just bebopping around and doing whatever. No, no, no. Jesus' resurrection is this very real, supernatural moment where God has done something that he's never done before, and, right, he's setting a new tone. And he wants you to catch this moment. He wants you to see that what Jesus is doing is also going to be true of those who put their trust in him, Right? And so he's, he's just making all, he's saying, listen, Jesus, was, this is not a spiritual re return. This is real, right? He had a real body. You could really see it. You could really touch it. You could really share lunch with it, right? You could, all of these things, this is real. This is real reality. Your perceived reality is that Jesus was dead and he's going to stay dead, but the real reality is he's alive and he's right here. And so the disciples are struggling to grasp this, right? And Jesus recognizes that. And so what he does is he begins to explain truth, right? Perceived reality, real reality, truth explained. So he begins to explain to them what's going on, what's happened using the scriptures, right? Using the Bible, which is the only Bible those disciples had at the time, which was the Old Testament, right? Genesis through Malachi. So that's the Bible that they had. Jesus begins to uh, teach them and help them understand that all of the Old Testament is actually pointing to Jesus, what he was going to do, what he was going to accomplish, and what all of that meant for us. And so in, in Jesus doing that, right, he says to the disciples on the road, right, starting with Moses and the prophets, he explained how all the scriptures point to him. Then later to all the disciples there in the room, he says basically the same thing. And the clear truth that Jesus is pointing out, and he's helping us, he's helping them, but he's also helping us to understand is this, that the Bible really only makes sense 
when you look at it in the context of Jesus. His kingship, his life, ministry, his death, and his resurrection. The Bible really only makes sense within the context of Jesus. And actually, if you remove Jesus as you're reading the scriptures, what happens is it overwhelmingly reduces the scripture to like this like moral book, right? This book that's full of morals and do this and don't do that and make sure, you know, uh, and whatever. Uh, it reduces it down to like this code of ethics. It reduces it down to just this book full of stories that like little people should learn so they can know what to do and what not to do, right? Um, and that's all it is. But actually, when you begin to see that the scriptures find their fulfillment in Jesus, the scriptures take on this whole new meaning, this whole new beauty. And and there's actually this desire to catch every morsel that you can, right? I like the way that J.I. Packer says it. He's a theologian, very thoughtful believer. He says this, The Bible is a single book with a single author, who is God the Spirit, and a single theme, which is God the Son and the Father's saving purposes, which all revolve round him. Our Lord is therefore the key to Scripture and its focal center. No part of the Scripture is rightly understood if read without this reference. Okay? And so what he's saying is this, that the Old Testament, right, it's, it's really describing real moments that happened in real time, okay? It's not saying that the Old Testament is like this allegorical thing and you're, everything represents something else about Jesus. Whatever. No, that's not, that's not the case. But rather what he's saying is this. The Old Testament, and all of Scripture really, uh, it, it shares real moments that happened in real time, in real context, and our sovereign, all-powerful God was actually also shaping history in such a way that pointed ahead to that which was still to come and to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, right? That both are true, that the reality of what happened is true, and it also pointed ahead to what Jesus was going to fulfill. Let me give you a quick example. Uh, you think about the, the, the story of the prophet Jonah, right? Maybe you know this story. This is the one who got swallowed by a big fish because he was running from God, right? Bad idea, uh, right? Um, so anyways, he runs away, and then God sends a fish, and the fish is like, whoop. And so he's like inside the fish for three days and three nights. That's what Jonah chapter 1 talks about. Then Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, gets pretty, like, uh, you know, colorful, because it's like the fish is like, whoop, I don't like Jonah's, Bleh. you know, and like right, right on top of the beach, and so he's spit out. And, and so what happens at one point is there's people who are asking, here's the crossover, uh, there's this one point where uh, people are asking Jesus, show us a miracle, show us a miracle, and he's like, uh, the only miracle you're going to see is the sign of Jonah. That's it. Now what he's talking about is this, Jonah really happened. That's a real story that happened in history. And it pointed ahead to the time when Jesus was going to be swallowed up in death for three days, right? He's going to end the grave for three days. But then on the third day, we would see that death could not hold him and it would cast him out, right? Because he's victorious over it. That's what Jesus was saying. He says, yeah, the only, the only sign you're gonna see is the sign of Jonah. Also, the prophet Hosea in chapter six, verse two, he's, he's prophesying about God's correction that's gonna come on the nation of Israel. But on the back end, there's gonna be forgiveness and grace that comes with it. But he says this, right? After two days, he'll revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. And so Hosea is talking both about what God is about to do in their real time, in their real context, and simultaneously, he's pointing ahead to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That on the third day, he's going to raise up, and we're going to live before him because of that. Right? And so the Old Testament, when you begin to see that Jesus Christ is the focal center of all the scripture, you actually begin to see, like, wow! Like, God is orchestrating all of these things to point ahead, like, to this stuff. And we would know and, like, get us ready and prepared to understand all of these things. And so the Old Testament literally, literally sets the stage for what Jesus was going to accomplish. And the disciples are seeing all this, and they don't have the framework. They don't have the reference. They don't have any of that. And so Jesus helps them to understand by what Luke words it this way. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So he uses the scripture. Hey, listen, you know the scriptures. You know what God has done. And it was also pointing ahead to that which was still to come. And he opened their minds to the scriptures. 
God can open your minds, my mind, to the scriptures as well. And so for the next three weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're actually going to be reading and discussing the Old Testament with the intent of seeing Jesus, right? Because the true nature of the Bible is that God has revealed his plan to bring us back into relationship with him through Jesus Christ, right? And what I wanted you, I want you to, I want to invite you to discover Christ in the Old Testament, like to see him, because he's there, right? He's present there. And so that's actually the next step I would invite you to take. It's actually on the back of your connection card or it's on the online card to say, hey, I'm a, I am in for the next three weeks of, of the, our new series of Discovering Christ in the Old Testament. And I encourage you to do that because if you want to discover God, if you want to discover his character, if you want to see his plan of rescue and his overwhelming love for every single one of us, read the scriptures, right? Read the Bible, but before you open the Bible, let me encourage you this. Before you open the Bible, just like pray. Ask God. Say, will you help me? Like you open my mind to the truth here. Will you help me to discover you? Will you help me to see what you're doing here, right? Even if it pushes back against my own perceived reality. And I would say this, especially if it pushes back on my own perceived reality. Because I don't, wanna, I don't just want perceived reality. I want real. I want real reality. And the scriptures lead us to that. Actually, the more you read the scriptures, you're going to see how God has revealed himself, and you're going to get, discover some really remarkable truth, things like God is unlike anyone else right? you've ever met. We can't even fully wrap our minds around him, and he's actually created every one of us in his image. You're going to discover things like the fact that every one of us has made the decision to lead our own lives, right? to declare independence from God, and that always leads to separation from God and separation from life. You're going to discover that God actually solved our separation problem, our independence problem, through Jesus Christ. And, and when we put our trust in him, uh, we'll have the life that we were always meant to live because Jesus lived the life we were supposed to live and he died the death that was meant for us so that now we can be re reunited with God forever. And so as Jesus is opening up their minds to the scriptures and the disciples are beginning to catch this truth, right? It's being explained. They realize this is true, and then they also realize, oh, we actually have to respond to this. This can't just be truth that floats out there in the world, right, out in the ethereal. See, because you got to catch this, right? Like, truth is truth, but not all truth requires the same level of response, okay? Here's what I mean by that. This is true, right? Grass is green, okay? Unless it's my yard, then it's yellow and brown. But uh, anyways, for the most part, grass is green, and that's true, right? But, you know, your response to that is like, okay, cool, green, good, except for instance, whatever, uh, you know? But then there's like other truth, truth like this. If you try to walk blindfolded across I-75 during rush hour traffic, uh, you are going to become a grease stain, right? Like that's true too. But you don't want to respond with, huh, that's cool. Let's try it anyways, you know? No, you're like, I'm going to believe that and not become a grief strain. You know, I'm just going to, I'm going to believe that that's true. And, and so the level of response is higher when it comes to that level of truth than it is that the grass is green. And so the same thing is happening here, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's been resurrected from the dead. It requires a response far more than, that's cool. Hey, Reese. Yeah, that's cool. You guys are like all excited about that. Whatever. It's, it's way more than that, right? That you, you, it requires a greater response than that. Actually, look at verses 51 uh, through 53 real quick. Luke 24. Right? Look at this. So all this truth has been explained. Uh, Jesus takes them out to the mount. And then he says this. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. And you got to catch this. Actually, let's read these next few. Uh, let's just finish the rest of it together, starting with, and they worshiped him. Are you ready? Go. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God, okay? So the disciples saw him die. They saw where he was buried. They saw him resurrected alive. They watched him ascend to heaven. And then you've got to catch those three words. They worshipped him. Now for you and me, you might go, 
Okay. okay. Yeah, they worshiped him. You can read it. You have to know, though, that all of these disciples, these early, these first disciples, they're all Jewish people. And what you might not understand about Jewish people, especially in this context, in this time, in this culture, Jewish people don't worship other people. They don't worship other humans because worship and bowing down before in submission and praying to and celebrating and praising is reserved only for And yet, as Jesus ascends, after everything they've seen, everything they've witnessed, what do they do? Worship him. What are they saying about Jesus? God, this, this, is, this is no ordinary man. This is no regular Joe Schmo, you know, coming out. This, this is God. And he deserved their full worship, filled with joy. By the way, look at that. Where did they go after that? They go back to Jerusalem, and they go to the temple. By the way, what's the, what's the purpose of the temple? Place of worship. <laughs> they go to the place of worship to go thank God for the gift of Jesus Christ, to worship Jesus, to worship God, right? All of that. Now, what happens next after this, right, is remarkable. We won't go there today, but Luke, who wrote, the, you know, the Holy Spirit inspired to write this gospel, also wrote, the uh, Acts, right? So the Holy Spirit inspired him to write that as well. And when you look through the whole book of Acts, you see that these disciples actually spend the rest of their lives sharing the truth of, what, of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished, right? Um, that's, that's worship, by the way. Yeah, like singing and clapping and praying, that's worship, and so is telling other people about who Jesus Christ is, Right? Actually, it may be one of the most powerful forms of worship in our world today, right? Because we're now inviting other people on how they can find rescue from sin and death as well through hope in Jesus Christ. And so what began as perceived reality, right? These disciples, that Jesus is dead and he's going to stay dead, was uh, confronted face-to-face with real reality. Jesus is alive and he's going to be alive forever And then this truth gets explained through the scriptures. Their response was to worship Jesus as God, because that's who he is. So perceived reality, real reality, truth explained, and the response of worship, okay? This was the first disciple's journey. And if you've kind of been tracking through this morning, you actually can see really clearly that this journey is our journey, right? It's our journey because we all come with our own perceived reality, right? It could be things like this, right? We're the creators of our own destinies. We determine our own purpose, uh, that it's up to us to make our lives however we want, Things like, this life is all that there really is, and we've got to get in everything we can before it's over, right? That's the perceived reality of so many people in our culture today, right? Uh, like, just believing that that's real reality. And, and what we don't catch that comes with that, we're like, oh, yeah, we could be free and do whatever we want. But actually, what we don't realize is the overwhelming weight and pressure that comes with that. Because when you believe that this is all there is and this is your one shot, what that forces you to do is you actually, every time you roll the dice, you have to roll it perfectly. Because this is all you got, right? This is it. There's nothing else. And so there's all this pressure to get every moment right. And with that pressure comes worry and doubt and anxiety and all of these things pressing down on us. That's our perceived reality. But the real reality is this. We are not the happy accidents of an uncaring universe. Rather, we're the delicate and intentional creation of an all-powerful God who's actually given his image to us as a gift. We've been created with purpose and meaning to know God, to love God, to rely on God, to enjoy him, right? And we've all lost that purpose through self-centered love. That's the essence of sin, by the way. 
it's, it's actually not that we don't love ourselves enough or we don't love ourselves very well. The issue is actually that we love ourselves too much. You have to know that. And we love ourselves so much, we think we can actually lead our lives independent of God better than if he was a part of our lives. Right? And so the self-centered love creates separation from God because we've declared independence from him. I don't need you. I don't want you. I don't have place for you in my life. I've got all of this. And there's nothing we can do to make that right between us and God. Nothing that we can do on our own. That's the reality. The other real reality is this, is that Jesus Christ, God himself, came into our world. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And his resurrection, the greatest moment in all of history, proves that he is the Son of God. And Jesus' resurrection shows that he has conquered sin and death. And Jesus', Jesus resurrection shows that those who trust in him will be reunited with the Father. And Jesus' resurrection shows that those who put their trust in him, they're going to be resurrected too. Right? That's actually what 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 is, is pointing to in verses 20 through 22. It says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. And so just as everyone dies because all belong to Adam, right? He's pointing back to Genesis 3 now, looking at all of the scripture. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And the Bible makes all of this clear. Begin to see this. And as you read, the Holy Spirit is actually going to open your mind to truth so you can discover all of this and so much more. But you got to catch this. Your mind and spirit can only be open to this truth when you engage it. It can't be something that's up on the shelf collecting dust and, well, maybe one day, whatever. Until you engage it, right? It can't begin to transform your thinking. And so let me encourage you, read the scriptures. Ask questions of it. Wrestle with it, right? Like talk to other people who are growing, uh, other growing believers, and ask them about what, you know, what's going on there. God's going to lead you to truth. And then as you begin to see that, you see, you begin to realize that every single one of us actually must respond to this truth. We have a decision to make. We have a decision to make in light of this truth. And the decision is this, either we resist God's love and we continue leading our lives in independence and self-leadership and therefore we're separated from God, we're separated from real life, right? That's one choice. That's, that's a choice. But the other choice is this to lean into God, to trust him, to say yes to his invitation to put all of your weight, to put all of your faith, to put all of your trust in the person of Jesus Christ and be, re be reunited with him and worship him for who he is, God, right? He's God. And there's no in-between, right? There's no in-between. We make a decision. We make a decision. Now, I was not always a pastor, right? Some of you are probably shocked. Uh, but you know, I wasn't always a pastor, and I wasn't, always a, I wasn't even always a Christian, right? Uh, in fact, I actually did not meet Jesus until I was a teenager, right? Later in high school. Um, before I met Jesus, I made lots of poor decisions leading life under my own capabilities and my own thought patterns and, and all of that stuff. And before I met Jesus, what I thought successful life was, I thought successful life was being um, independently wealthy and earning the respect of others, no matter what I had to do, right? And probably those were the two things that were central for me because those were the two things I had no access to growing up. Right? I could never shake the embarrassment of being the poor kid who lived in a wealthy city. I, I could not get out, of the, out from underneath of the shame of never being able to fulfill my dad's expectations and earn his respect, whatever those metrics even were, right? And so what I spent the majority of my life doing was chasing after this form of what I thought success was, right? Wealth and respect and whatever else. And it drove me to achieve. It drove me to fight for, for success and for respect. It drove me to find escape. 
when I didn't measure up, when I couldn't get a hold of those things, it drove me. But if I'm being transparent with you this morning, I'm not so much sure that it was driving me to what I thought I needed and what I wanted. All I was really doing was running from that embarrassment and shame. And it just kept coming with me, no matter what. Because I was, the problem wasn't being solved. It was just running from it. That was my perceived reality. And then God, in his overwhelming kindness, through the invitation of a friend, he invited me to go to church with him. And then through this church family who was like overwhelmingly gracious and loving to me, I began to catch glimpses of real life. Like what life really was looking like. And over time, I began to see that knowing God was my true purpose. I began to see that like loving God was the most fulfilling thing I would ever do. That relying on God was actually what I was made for. And, and this is way more, listen, this is way more than like being good and doing good stuff and then like not doing bad stuff, uh, I'm, right? Like that's, that's down here. I'm talking about like, you know, just the heart of who God is. That this was the deepest longing of my soul. And so one night in July, God helped me to see that the only way that I was ever going to really live life, I was going to be free, is actually to say yes to Jesus Christ as my forgiver and my leader. So I did that night. My life has been profoundly transformed since that night. Right? I am not that guy. Right? Like he has, he has changed my life. I'm on a whole different trajectory now for the last 23 years of my life. Just absolutely remarkable what God can do. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've experienced the very same thing. And you know what it is to, to live life under your own perceived reality and then to cross over into real reality and how that transforms you. Here's what I can tell you. I will never go back to perceived reality. This is the most real I've ever had in my life. And it just keeps getting more real. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We ask the same question at the end of every service and simply this, Lord, what are you saying to me right now? And I want to give you a moment to listen. Maybe you identify with my story. Maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe your perceived reality is like way, way different than mine, what mine was. And, and it doesn't matter whether you do or whether you don't. What matters is you have to know that Jesus' resurrection is real. That's what does matter. And I want you to know this, is that Christ is for you. I want to say that again. That's very important. Christ is for you. And even, even if you've cursed God's name, even if you've made decisions that weigh you down with shame and embarrassment, even if your life has gone exactly as you hoped that it would, and you don't think it could ever get any better than what you've already planned, even if you've struggled to understand how Jesus' resurrection could have happened, maybe even this is like the first time you've ever thought of some of these thoughts before. You gotta know Christ is for you. He raised, he was resurrected from the dead for you. He died on the cross for you. He came into this world for you. And if you want real, if you want real life, if you want real, right, like real, real reality, then you can have it. But it comes through putting your trust in Christ. And you respond with worship and you respond with trust. And if you're ready to trust Jesus, here's how you do it. I'm going to tell you right now, you change direction. 
You change direction. And so stop trying to live life on your own terms and by your own strength and under your own plans and authority, right? Throw that down. And instead, turn to God. Put your hope in him, right? And in just a moment, here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. I'm gonna invite some of you to make that decision and, and to let me know about it by simply raising your hand. It's just gonna be a moment. I just, I'm not gonna stick you out. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything weird. I just wanna know so I can be praying for you. And, and there's something about when we take movement towards God by doing something like raising your hand or something like that, it just, it becomes even more real when we do things like that. And so in just a moment, if you're ready to put your trust in Jesus Christ, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. And so everyone who's on campus right now, if you're saying, man, this morning I recognize this truth, I've had perceived reality, I'm seeing real reality, the scriptures are making it clear, I am ready to say yes, I'm gonna invite you right now here on campus is to simply raise your hand right now. Wherever you're at, you can just put your hand up. I won't hold this out long. Father, we wanna thank you We want to thank you that you have not left us to ourselves, but actually you've solved our deepest problem. And we thank you that we have the opportunity now to share that with others. And so I would pray that for those who have put hope in you, who have turned away from life under their own leadership, and they're now walking under the leadership of Jesus Christ, we would know that this is not truth for only us to enjoy and to know, but to actually to go and share. That it is meant that for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, turning away from our own leadership, that is a message that we can tell other people that they can find freedom in Christ alone. And I pray that you would send us to go in that way. We worship you alone. We say thank you for all you've accomplished as we remember everything you've done on our behalf. We worship you and we ask these things in the wonderful, matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.